What's hey. up, Andrew? What's up, what's up? What's up? Leo? Sorry about that. I cut you off. It's okay. It's been a long time. It's been a long been, time since the last time we... <laughs> Can we start Maybe that's this why. again? Maybe that's why. Yeah, let's start that again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm interrupting. I'm like, what? <laughs> All right, Leo, you speak first and then I'll go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't have to speak. I'm, not, I'm, I'm in a bit of a funk today. So all right, let's, all start, good, let's start again. Just do it again. Just do it again. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast may lead to learning. All information provided is for educational and developmental purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for a growth mindset. Before taking action, please consult your motivation. This is the Teacher Talking Time Podcast. So what happens in a situation like that? Well, you're going to show up in front of the wrong people who are going to give you the wrong kind of feedback. This band sucks. <laughs> you guys are terrible. Of course, they're going to say that. We yeah, don't play yeah. death metal. We're playing punk rock. So the lesson is find the people who, are you, who you are seeking to create a change for and get feedback. Iteration's really key, right? So you can't yes. let perfection be the enemy of progress. Um, teaching, trading, teaching at a school for teaching online I think many people who have done it would say that's not what they want because they can only teach so many hours in a day. And those yeah. hours that you're doing, spending teaching are taking away from those other valuable areas of your life. That's right. They're all sacrificed for this one, one for one approach. Becoming the person that you want to be requires you to challenge the person that you currently are to be open to say, what part of myself right now do I want to take with me? What parts do I not want to take with me? And the future for me, of online learning is a combination of everything that's been up till, up till now isolated. So it's a combination of community and a specific need and online learning and some live lessons or some coaching or some teaching. These traditionally have been separate things. Your program needs to have all of those things and that's your differentiator. You think about where the, the puck is going, not just with you know what you want for yourself, but where the industry is going, and that is where the industry is going. The salon is brick and mortar, face-to-face -face learning. Impressionism is online communities that have crazy value with live sessions, and that's challenging to a lot of people. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teacher Talking Time podcast. To those of you who are new, each episode of our podcast is devoted to bringing the most recent, most innovative, and most insightful research applications into teacher education, language teaching, and language education. And if you are also new to our Learn Your English community, I have to tell you more about our new Teacher Accelerator program which is our online program for teachers all around the world who want to eliminate lesson planning, reach and help more students, teach less, earn more money without, of course, sacrificing work-life balance. Our programs help teachers reflect and develop in the most important skills they need to succeed in the information age. And it's just like your teaching isn't for everyone, our program isn't for everyone. It's for someone. The program has four pillars of successful design. We have a community, we have live sessions, we have self-paced learning, and more importantly, we have lots, lots 
of feedback. Does this sound like you? Are you a teacher who wants to implement dogme and task-based learning in your teaching? Do you want to eliminate lesson planning? Do you want to help more students, but also work less? Do you want to transition from selling your time, teaching one-to-one, to actually focusing on outcomes and selling results? Do you want to be a business owner and not an employee? And more importantly, do you want to build and scale your teaching business? If this sounds like you, then you have a great opportunity here. Just head over to our website, learnyourenglish.net slash schedule and book a meeting with us. I wanted to I wanted to ask a question to you too because this is a question that I've been getting a lot recently. And Leo, I've seen that you've been getting it too through Instagram or Instagram channel. And I thought, it's not something I think about a lot because I've known you guys for a long time, but it's something that we've been getting asked a long time. And I want to remember, or I want to ask you, do the two of you remember the moment when the three of us met? Mm, I want to say I do. The first time all three of us were in the same room, I think mm-hmm. it was a training session that one of our former places of work and right. like a meet and greets, maybe, maybe some, some free lunch. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I totally remember meeting you guys. Yeah. I, I don't, I actually, it's, it's a little blurry. Yeah. I'll be very honest with you. I do remember the first time we, we, we got together to talk about learn your English. Okay. I do remember that, but I, I don't remember exactly how we, we connected in this um, work work environment. And I, I think you're, mm, well, not only that, Andrew, I think um, we didn't connect. I think that's a good word, Leo, because um, we were kind of off doing our own things. It's like working at the same school, but not really mm-hmm. being together or, or collaborating right. on anything, really kind of doing our own things, maybe sharing ideas and whatnot. It was really like probably two years after we first met that we started just realizing that we, all had kind of shared ideas around teaching and learning and we just liked one another. We found out that we had a whole bunch of things in common or just the same right. kind of outlook on life. And, and really you're right, Leo. I think it was that spring, that spring meeting that we had kind mm-hmm. of early 2018 where we were just kind of like, Hey, if we're, if we get along so well and we, we have these shared values, why don't we just kind of pool everything together and, and start to kind of change the industry. In, in the direction that we uh, want to go. Yeah. I remember there was a napkin. We went to an establishment. I think we had lunch. And I remember, I think it was you, Mike, but I, I could be wrong. I think you wrote, we were talking about what the vision we wanted. We were going to, because we were talking about this last week in our Q&A call with the Teacher Accelerator Program. Where the same question came up and why we called it Learn Your English. And I said, well, we didn't. Leo had this company. He was teaching students. And then we decided to move forward with a new direction with teachers, but keeping the That's name. right. Um, but I remember in one of those very initial meetings going to a restaurant and there was a napkin and we were, we're writing down on the napkin, like our, our plan for the next 12 months. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good, good catch. I, I do recall the napkin now, but I think (laughs) one of the things that really, I think connected the three of us was what you just said, Andrew, was this passion that we had for, you know, improving the quality of teaching um, I think we were also dealing with a little bit of burnout in this very specific work environment. Um, I think we were, 
you know, we were working as a very high stakes program, students going into university. And we were, I remember, I remember, this is what I remember. We were not very satisfied. We're not very content with the status quo in this very specific university. I remember that we didn't like the way writing was being taught. We didn't like the way listening was being taught. We didn't like the way, I think we didn't like anything about the program, to be honest with you. We liked the stuff that we created together because we started contributing and, and, you know, connecting and putting ideas together and designing our own materials. That's what I remember very vividly. Yeah, I think like it's, it's natural. I, I'm sure, you know, this is probably something we're going to talk about today. I, I felt kind of like stifled, right? Like maybe our creativity wasn't being, um, wasn't being fostered, right? It was almost being kind of stifled by all these class objectives and, and structured assessments, which I think a lot of programs have, and they have their reasons for having those. But as teachers, we want to develop, we want to develop um, professionally, and we want to make sure that we feel rewarded, right? And it's really important that we continue to create and be creative individuals. And I feel like, like you said, Leo, there were great things that we created and, and, and uh, pooled together, but, but ultimately um, those were kind of shared by the, it didn't speak to the larger vision of the program or maybe even lack of vision of the yeah. program. Right. Yeah. Do you remember what, cause I, <laughs> This is kind of ironic because people tell me all the time, and this is true, that my memory is terrible, which it is. I don't remember anything. It's awful. But I remember these things for some reason. Leo, do you, because this is, was your idea, Leo, do you remember what, even forget Learn Your English, before we even decided to kind of collaborate and, and build this together, you had an idea mm. for working and helping teachers in the Toronto area. Do you remember what that idea right. was? I don't remember what that idea was. <laughs> I, I'm feeling a little, I'm feeling quizzed right now. And <laughs> when it comes to memory, I think mine often fails me and I can't really rely on it. So you, I'm going to have to ask for your help. Okay. Well, I only remember that. because I think that was the impetus for what we have now. So that's, I think, uh, why oh. I remember that idea. But it's, it's, it's our journey. It's our story, right? Because that idea is, is mm -hmm. in, in the literal definition of your idea is not that we'd ever did anything like that it, we probably never will do something like that it didn't be, look doesn't look anything mm -hmm. like that but i think it was the springboard for the next mistake and the next mistake and then you know what we're doing now you wanted you felt there was a lack of development in the gta in toronto maybe in the province right. in which we live and that the services and the um you know memberships available did not serve teachers the way that that you wanted them to be served or that, you know, afforded uh, teachers <laughs> opportunities to develop beyond the conference, so to speak. Conferences are great, yes. but what do we do on a day-to-day -day basis to reflect? And you wanted, an idea that you had by yourself was to create something for those teachers that they could develop that way. And then that idea yeah. brought Mike and I into that conversation and we liked it and we kind of tried to not try to, but we mapped out what our own association would look like and all of these kinds of things, which obviously it never came to yes. fruition because mm -hmm. it's a humongous undertaking and no thank you. But I think that mindset or that at the very basic level, that idea is what we do now mm. on a much bigger scale. Yeah. 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 And or, or at least the core of it, right? The idea of a teacher community where there's regular engagement, where people are... Easily, they have easy access to new ideas and critical friends who they can use to help springboard their careers, right? And 
we had that originally with our kind of membership, but now we have it more kind of systematic with um, some of the programs we offer in our teacher accelerator programs. Yeah. So obviously it's like really convenient and easy to look backwards and in retrospect, oh, this is what happened and this is why we did this and now we're doing this. But the topic of this episode is kind of talking about the advantages of disadvantages. And if you follow us on Instagram, you've been, Leo and I have been talking about this book that we're reading, David and Goliath. You're probably sick of it by now, but if you haven't read it, yes. go buy it, go pick it up. It's amazing. But at the time, working in that institute that we we're working at, what you guys just described about, you know, maybe stagnated creativity, not quite doing what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've viewed that as a disadvantage. I don't know if you guys did at the moment, in that moment, at that time. Looking back, it's super convenient and easy to say, well, it's clearly an advantage that came out of that from yes. a disadvantage, disadvantageous situation. But yes. in a bigger scope, on a bigger plane, what would you guys say about that in terms of how do we identify something that might not be a disadvantage and what mindset is required to see advantages from that? Mm. You know, it's funny, you talk about advantages, disadvantages, seeing advantages and disadvantages. I always think about obstacles because obstacles may be perceived as a disadvantage, but I think overcoming those obstacles is finding how those obstacles can actually advance action is what is the advantage of the disadvantage. And when I think about that, when I think about overcoming obstacles and how you know, our journey, like leading up to where we are now, and you actually said there were a lot of mistakes that we've made. I I would say that there were a lot of learning opportunities for us. I I think a mistake, it's only a mistake when you don't act on it, when you don't learn from it. But the moment you make a mistake and and you kind of like internalize from a lesson from that, I think that stops being a mistake and it becomes, okay, you know what? That was a really good learning opportunity for us. So when I look back at all these the genesis of Learn Your English and the genesis of our entrepreneurial um, dream, let's put it that way, I think um, overcoming these obstacles have become part of our mindset. And I think of it as a discipline, which includes, I would say, maybe you guys can help me if you agree with this or not. It's basically a discipline, a discipline of, of, of three critical steps. And the first one is it's the simple one. It begins with how we look at our specific problems, how we look at our attitude or our approach. That's the first thing. Then the energy, and you talked a lot about this, we all had that energy at first, the energy and the creativity with which we actively break down those those obstacles, those problems. And then, as you said, we turn them into opportunities because I feel like throughout our journey, there were a lot of moments when we were like, oh, we're stuck here. Okay, but yeah, but how can we turn this into an opportunity? And I feel like we've been very good at doing that. And finally, of course, the third critical step is this cultivation. I think Mike can speak more about that. It's the cultivation and this maintenance of an inner will that will allow us to handle any sort of defeat, any sort of problem, any sort of, of difficulty. And I think this is kind of how I, I, I see how we've been you know, um, evolving from there and seeing the advantages in the disadvantages or, or, or using the obstacle as the way, perhaps. Yeah, and I think it's that, Leo, but I also think there's this element of validation as well, right? Mm. We all felt these things internally and, and individually. It was, but it was coming together and kind of sharing 
um, our own frustrations with one another and discussing yes. the different ways that we each kind of address those obstacles and have overcome those obstacles and then pooling together those ideas to create something great or at least um, begin the iterative process of creating something great, um, which I think can't be ignored, right? Like part of the problem is like, I feel like a lot of teachers kind of keep their frustrations inside or mm -hmm. they, they maybe strive for that confirmation bias. Perhaps they'll just talk yes. to people who feel the same way or feel the same um, frustrations, but don't act on it, right? And I think that one yes. thing that we did really well, and I, what I think a lot of teachers who oh, are successful so and do continue to evolve are ones that um, are, are kind of self-critical, um, put their ideas forward, but also, again, get that validation, but also that critique from those kind of close friends, those close colleagues to help bring them to the next level. Because I really think, you know, we, we hey, if, hey, everyone out there in the audience, you know, we flopped like a bunch of times, right? Like we had to kind of oh, yeah. reinvent ourselves and reinvent the podcast even and how we went about it and how we formatted episodes. Mm -hmm. And, um, but a lot of that was just being really kind of open and, and open to, to criticism, but constructive criticism, yes. right? Like, um, you know, yes. critical questions, like, am I teaching this the right way? How do I know I'm teaching it the right way? And bouncing those ideas off one another and getting that feedback, I think was quite critical. And I think, <laughs> Finding those like-minded yes. peers, right, Leo? Finding those like-minded peers yeah. is equally as important as all that other internal stuff that you, you, you touched on there. Yeah. I mean, if anyone thinks that success happens in a linear scale, that's just not how it works. That's wrong. Like, mm -hmm. you could, don't look at us, but look at any successful company in the world, any successful person. And it's nice to say, oh, my God, I want to be like that person. But if you ask them their journey, it's up, down, up, down, up, down, failure, success, failure, mistake. Yes. Like you said, Leo, and, and like, like just learning from it, taking that feedback. It's not a failure. It's feedback. And then you use mm -hmm. that to keep iterating. And this is hard. Like, yeah, it's hard to get people to tell you, you I don't like this. This is not working. But then it's a muscle that you... Pre mm -hmm. you, you flex and you grow and over time yeah it becomes easier and easier and then you just react and you keep you keep moving but i think leo's right you know it's a lot yeah, of that sorry, leo, a lot of that has to do with the perspective right like and seeing mm -hmm. these these obstacles as opportunities and yes. i think you're right leo that's the foundation right unless you get over that initial hump there's there's sorry but there's no hope really for you <laughs> you'll just you'll stay in that kind of vicious cycle that awful terrible yeah. loop of of complaint experience complaint experience which is what you don't want what you want to have is experience complaint find the solution implement yes. that solution mm. get feedback and mm. then go but I, and, and and along the way be open to help because i think yeah you know teachers like to be the kings of their classrooms but you know you have to, being modest and humble like leo like when you and i started teaching together right like we had both had a lot of experiences we were trying to talk about teaching reading and writing together at the academic level. Mm -hmm. But, but either both of us, we had to check our egos and just like, Hey, like yeah. I'm really struggling with this Leo. How are you teaching it? You know, and, and yeah. you are the same. Right. Yeah. And um, I think that's for teachers. the, it doesn't come natural to teachers. I yeah. Think, is, no, is no, absolutely not. It's, I would say it's the gift and the curse of feedback because one thing I've learned over the last couple of years is that not all feedback is equal right? You need mm -hmm. to really focus on the kind of feedback that actually helps you improve your practice or that actually helps you improve your teaching or actually helps you improve your, your business. And I remember Seth Golden talking about this, Andrew. He said that he never reads Amazon book reviews because they don't give him the feedback 
that will actually help him improve his writing or his books. And I said, oh man, this is, yeah. He's like, no, I'm, if I'm going to ask for feedback to help my, with my books, I'm going to ask other writers who actually write on a, on a similar niche as mine, you know? Um, so instead of seeking out the people mm. that can give you um, any kind of feedback, you should be seeking out the people that can give you specific actional feedback that can actually help you improve your teaching practice and your teaching business, which is exactly what we try to do with those teachers who are on this path to improve their teaching, mm. to teach without planning a lot of spending a lot of time preparing lessons and teachers who also have started building their business just like we have built ours and they're going to get the same kind of, of feedback and an example of the wrong kind of feedback is this is actually a personal example um i used to play in a in a punk band when i growing up you know wow. and uh one day we decided to be an opening act for a band that was playing death metal mm. so sure. what happens in a situation like that well you're going to show up in front of the wrong people who are going to give you the wrong kind of feedback. This band sucks. <laughs> you guys are terrible. Of course, they're going to say that. We yeah, don't play yeah. death metal. We're playing punk rock. So the lesson is for you, uh, for us, has been find the people who, are you, who you are seeking to create a change for and get feedback from those people because that's the kind of feedback that is going to help you improve your, your teaching practice and your business. The two of you talk a lot about critical friends or a critical friend network, right? Mm -hmm. So this is this is mm -hmm. in essence, you know, what you're describing. I think going solo is the term, or you know, thinking about professional life outside of an institution or a school is a very natural thought, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, to augment income, to replace income, to feel more creative, to do at the same time as a side hustle to do as a, a, a full-time business. It's a very natural yeah. thought and it's a very natural thought to move from the same model that a school offers into your own business, right? To, to selling my time in my own business is a very natural transition from leaving a school, starting a business. It's a very natural transition, right? But that's also an obvious solution to an obvious problem, right? Mm. And it's that's a one why for it's one, right? Yeah. It's a yeah. one for one. <laughs> one hour Nicholas... teaching at this school versus one hour teaching at home. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And this is what Nicholas Cole talks about a lot on Twitter. If you don't follow Nicholas Cole, go follow him. He's amazing. Mm. If you're if you want to learn about content writing and how to market your products, Nicholas Cole is the guy or one of the guys. Um, but we don't get people's attention by talking about an obvious solution to an obvious problem. We need to talk about non-obvious solutions to ideally non-obvious problems, or at least one obvious and one non-obvious, right? Right. So naturally, it seems obvious to move from a school to take the same model and sell my time on my own time and make some money. And that's that can work for a while. Mm -hmm. But everyone's doing the same thing. And eventually, the burnout follows you. There's a reason you burn out working in an institution or a school. It's because it's the time, it's the time that we spend doing it, right? Yeah. So yeah. what would be a, a non-obvious solution to that obvious problem, the obvious problem of working a lot of hours, being tired, maybe you know experiencing a little bit of burnout or demotivation. The obvious solution is go solo, sell my time. But what would a non-obvious solution be? I I was thinking about this. Um, I don't know if this is one hundred percent related to your question, so I may be deviating a little bit from the question here. But I'm thinking about the 
the problem of teachers wanting to quit their teaching jobs at institutions where they're making, you know, I know I, we've talked to teachers who are working for these platforms like italki and Cambly, and they're not making a lot of money. And or they're working for institutions and they want to start like charging what they think they're worth. But a lot of them want to do that. That's the obvious um, problem. And the obvious solution is I'm just going to, you know, quit and start my business. But this is not what most people do. And I, I start thinking about why. And I think it's because of the Western mindset. What is the Western mindset? The Western mindset, in my opinion, is tell me if it's going to work and then I'll do it. Mm. So, so you're saying it's the path of least resistance, right? Like exactly. I can, I can easily go from, say, teaching in a school, getting, say, $20 an hour to charging what I want to charge and then teaching at home type thing. Is that where you're yeah. going with that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because think about, yes, because this mentality, Mike, of like, tell me if it's going to work and then I'll do it. This mentality of only doing what's needed if it gets me an, an A on the test or if it gets me the successful teaching business, that's what really holds back a lot of teachers. Because the real breakthrough is doing work that is worth doing. For a specific group of people that want it. Exactly, exactly. Even though you know it's not going to work. And, and that's the thing. It's, I, I, don't, I don't remember where I read about this, but I think it was someone on Twitter, Andrew. I can't remember the, the guy's name, but he talked about the idea of a creativity faucet. It's only once mm. you have freed your mind of all these bad ideas that the good ideas will start to emerge. And I can't help but think about the obvious, the non-obvious solution to a non-obvious problem is you have to practice shipping often, which is what we do. We ship a podcast every month, whether it's good or bad, we ship one. We post on Instagram, we're constantly creating new courses. You know, It's only through shipping that you will learn and master your own craft. I think the only reason why we have become good at what we do is because we're constantly shipping. We're learning and mastering our craft. Too many people focus mostly on the outcome. They want to have the teaching business, but they don't, but they fail to ship um, often enough. This is something I've been thinking about a lot recently. And I've been watch your pronunciation there. Lee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Crafting uh, a LinkedIn post mm. on this, but I haven't finished yet. But so it's not totally fleshed out. But the, the crux of it is this. Mm. Mm. The most important is maybe to hy hyperboliptic or whatever the word would be. But I think one yeah. of the most important skills slash mindsets for an entrepreneur or someone who has their own business, or in this case, a teacher who has their own business mm. is to embrace delayed gratification. Yes. I like mm. that. There's no such thing as results right away. The results come Immediate after results. time. Yeah. But if you're looking to like what you said, Leo, Oh, show me what works and then I'll do it. Well, what, <sighs> yes. how do you define works mm. and what yeah. works for one person doesn't work for another person. There are general things, obviously, but you have to have the mindset of, I'm going to get rewarded for this later. I lay the foundations. Now, go, like, whether you're saying, Leo, on the, on the stories the other day about embracing pain, take the, the don't yes. take the path of least resistance. Take the path of, maybe not most resistance, but at least there is some resistance there. There's got to be not just some hokey, sort of resistance, some pain. Philosophical, yeah. whatever. Like, we, we are living, breathing results of, of that. We made no money forever. 
<laughs> we laid the the, yeah. the foundations mm-hmm. for this. So I think delayed gratification in a, in any business has to be embraced because you're not going to make money right away. You have to f- find out what people want. You have to find out who they are. Mm-hmm. Find out if that's something that is commiserate with what you offer, with what you're interested in. Yeah, this is a time consuming process. You have to get. Yeah. Once you figure that out, you have to help them a little bit for probably a low price to, to prove to other people that you can do this. Then you can start to mm-hmm. raise your... And like there's a whole thing here. And after a little bit of time, yeah. certainly the, those rewards come. But if you're looking for a quick fix, that, I mean, it doesn't exist. Mm. Yeah. I was thinking about like how... I'm, I'm trying to connect what you said. And I think... To, to what we, ju- we were just talking about here. And I think a lot of it has to do with doing generous work. I think Mike, Mike mentioned this, I remember once, that all of our work, we should be generous because we f- should always find a way to give back. And this doesn't mean giving everything away for free. What it means, I guess, is, is being generous with, with our energy, with our emotional labor to actually help somebody else. And I find that we do that in many different ways. We do that on Instagram with our posts. We do that with lives. Um, we do that when Mike and Andrew, are re- when you guys are replying to teachers on Facebook, always finding ways to, through the podcast, whatever. Our focus should, I mean, your focus, if you're listening to this, your focus should always be on creating a change in the world that creates impact for some person or people, you know? So yeah, if we're being generous, I think that's, yeah, Mike, go ahead. No, no. It, it, and, and it starts, Leo, with being generous to yourself, right? So this yeah. goes back to answer Andrew's original question, right? The reason that um, these kind of quick fixes don't work is because they're the object that the teacher is trying to chase is, say, perhaps a higher hourly wage. When really yeah. the question it's they should the be asking is, what is it that I want to do? What is going to make me the happiest, the most fulfilled version exactly. of myself? And that is the, that's the, the difficult question. And the only way to get there is to have that idea and know, know yourself mm-hmm. and understand this is what's going to make me happy. And this yeah. is my vision I have for myself. And then to do what you and Leo, what you and Andrew have just talked about, start to just take actions and show up every day and start shipping and, and getting yes. to that position where you are doing what you're loving, loving what you're doing. And in return, mm-hmm. that's that's adding something out there in the world that other people are learning yes. from, growing from, and, and improving, right? And it yeah. takes courage, you know? It's, you don't yes. want to just do something that everybody else is doing, you know? The, the path of least mm-hmm. resistance is to keep doing what you're currently doing or to do what everyone before you has already done. That's the, well, show me it works and I'll do it. Well, guess what? Everyone else is yeah. already doing it. And, and this is why the mindset, this is why I think one of the first things we do in the teacher accelerator program is to talk about mindset, because if you don't change your mindset, then chances are you're not going to be able to ship it. You're not going to be able to do the work that is required to actually start your, your business. You're going to still focus, as Mike said, you're going to focus primarily on the outcome and you're going to fail to ship um, often enough. And again, the practice, like this idea of, of shipping becomes your identity. And we've talked about this many, many times about how the way we act actually determines how we feel way more often than the way we feel determines how we act. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to say this say, again. Yeah. Say it again. Go, go. 
I'm going to say it again. The way we act, because I will forget, the way we act determines how we feel way more often than the way we feel determines how we act. So the way you behave will kind of inform your, your identity. Ideally, yeah, yeah, ideally, that, that's exactly it. Because otherwise, you're shipping the wrong thing, right, Leo? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're mm-hmm. waking up every morning and you're shipping, you're, you're teaching those five hours of classes every day instead of building that, that, that business that you want to build, right? So because that's the fundamental difference between a teacherpreneur or someone who wants to go out and freelance as a business project and someone who just yeah. wants to teach online, right? So the teacher online is just doing what Andrew's doing, right? They're going after that product. They're going after X dollars per hour, and that's it. Whereas the teacherpreneur actually has a vision. They have that Mm -hmm. that product that is helping society, helping individuals within society. And that is their main focus. Teaching is perhaps, that's 80% 80 of their, their, their focus is on developing that product and getting it out in the world. The actual 20% is the delivery of that right? The main Mm -hmm. focus is them actually creating um, and and helping build their actual business with business systems and business structures. Yes. The the 20% is actual, the the teaching, if it is the the actual delivery of the the, the lessons, let's say. Yeah. So one is is goal-based, I would argue. The other is just, um, just simple, give me $50 an hour and I'll be happy. Um, that's clearly mm-hmm. not a business, folks, right? Yeah, it's not a business. You can't do that and call that a business. You're you're basically transferring from an, a school into an online classroom. Um, yeah. You need to find out what you want to be, um, find out how that can help the world, and then spend eighty yeah. percent of your time getting it out there, twenty percent of your time delivering it and working with those individuals on on bettering themselves. I think the most important thing, if I were to say. I think for us, for, for, for us, I guess, for me as well, what I, I think we've fully understood about what we wanted to do, to go back to what Andrew said about how everything started with a, with a napkin. Um, I think we understood from that conversation that our work was ultimately for other people, not for us. We weren't doing something for ourselves. We wanted to improve the quality of teaching in Toronto, in the GTA, in Ontario, in Canada. We do the work to make a change happen. That's what we wanted. I think that's what we set out to do. But if you're not trying to create a change, then, Mike, it goes back to what you said. It's just a hobby that you get paid for, right? <laughs> which which, is, which is fine, but I don't think you can call it a business, right? Like, because right. You're, you're, not, you're not putting a, a product out there yeah. that's helping society go forward. And I know see people could argue, but my classes do help. And I'm not saying that your classes don't help, but the 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 intrinsic motivation from if you looked internally at what processes are going on there, you're you're exchanging time for money. That's all you're doing. And really what you want to be doing is building an asset or a collection yeah. of assets that you can use to help improve yourself, improve the world, and live your the best version of yourself possible. Um, teaching trading teaching at a school for teaching online, I think many people who have done it would say that's not what they want because they can only teach so many hours in a day. And those yeah. hours that you're doing, spending teaching are taking away from those other valuable areas of your life, your own well-being, your own ability to spend time with your family, to develop per- personally as well, 
um, sacrificed, right? They're all sacrificed um, for this one, one for one approach. So not saying it's not good, Andrew, but I don't, to, to answer your question, the easy answer actually isn't getting at the root of the real problem, which is how do I become a better individual? And while I'm doing that, mm -hmm. wouldn't it be nice to help the world at the same time or help others yeah. out there in the world at the same time? I was going to say the opposite of like what you were just describing before is the opposite of what we're talking about today. That's the disadvantage of an advantage. The advantage mm -hmm. in the world we live in right now is it's easy to just go online, find students and teach for fill in the num fill in the blank dollar per hour. But over the long term, that actually turns itself into a disadvantage. The advantage is that it's the path of least resistance and you can do it. There's no obstacles to set it up or where you go. The disadvantage that it turns into is all those things that you just said, Mike. So what is then the advantage of the disadvantage? The disadvantage is, but Mike, I don't have an asset. I don't know how to create that asset. But Mike, I don't know all of these things. But Mike, it sounds really hard. Yeah, it is, <laughs> right? But that's your disadvantage. And then you turn it into an advantage somehow. I have a story for you guys that I want to share. And this comes Please. from the book that I'm reading, David and Goliath, of course. So again, no Have you finished the book, no by the way? Yeah, no. yeah. I, I, Almost. I'm like three quarters of the way through. Three quarters <laughs> yeah. of the way through. Um, but I think this, there's a couple of stories that I hope we have time to share today because I think kind of illustrate what we're talking about and, and not just what we're talking about, but this kind of what, what you know, the direction that, that lots of people have taken, not just now, but throughout history. Are you guys fans of French art? Uh, I only Maybe. know Monet. And... Oh, Monet, yeah. Yeah, it's the only Quine. one. Monet, you're going to hear me, get to hear me pronounce some French here. So this is, this oh, is your this treat. Is nice. So Monet, Claude Monet, mm -hmm. Edouard Manet, uh -huh. Edgar Degas, and Pierre-Auguste Renoir. All I'm sure, Renoir, we'll, get, yeah, I'm sure yeah. we'll get comments on Renoir. that pronunciation, but, but sure. kudos. I apologize I'm to everybody. on the side here for you. Yeah, that's brave. <laughs> um, those four people, again, according to the book, and Malcolm Gladwell is the author, basically invented what is now known as impressionism mm. as an art form or a genre of art, or if you be a niche of art. But in the, in the 1860s, they were broke, struggling, and basically homeless. They, their big question to each other was, what should we do about the salon? And if you're not sure about what the salon was, and I wasn't either until I read this book, uh, it basically at that time was the biggest art show in the world. It was at the Louvre in France. Okay. And if you were an artist, you had to get your art into the salon. Okay. If you weren't in the salon, right. you were a nobody. Right. But the art that these four gentlemen created was frowned upon. It was like a third class type of art impressionism right. was not a thing we didn't we don't right. you don't paint still life you don't paint what people are doing yeah, yeah. this we is not know something that. it's already that, there yeah not exa exactly <laughs> it's not something that society accepts right so being ex to them being accepted into the salon and furthering their career came at a cost creating art they didn't find meaningful mm-hmm and risked being lost in the clutter of other artists because in the Louvre they would be like thousands of paintings and one of the same right. they're all kind of yeah. blend in and they all look the same because they don't accept a variety of different types or different niches mm -hmm. of art right so they asked themselves this question 
did they want to be a little fish in a big pond in the salon? Or did they want to be a big fish in a little pond of their own choosing? Hmm. Obviously, again, very convenient and easy to look back. But history tells us that they made the right decision. We can find their art all over the world, some of the most best-selling paintings ever. But one has to wonder if they had decided just to keep going to the salon and creating art that they didn't like, that had no meaning to them, what would have <laughs> happened? Interesting. Wow, that really resonates with me, right? Like in our experience that we just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it, right? Gladwell argues in the book that this choice still exists today, obviously. Mm -hmm. And most people, the vast majority of people, do not choose wisely. Rarely, he says, do we pause and ask if the seemingly best or most prestigious choice is actually mm. in our own best interest. Huh. Yeah, well, you hear that lots of times, right? And I don't think it's just our our field, right? You hear um, people say no. they be, wanted to become lawyers, and then they go into law, yeah, um, and then they they realize that it's um it's it's disastrous for them on on different levels, right? Maybe they become workaholics. Um, they start to drink too much. They they can't handle the pressure of dealing with clients. They take it out on their family. They right, like there are professions. I mean, teachers, nurses, like there are lots of quote unquote, high stress jobs that um, and, and maybe even working for a particular school or at a particular level that that seem quite prestigious, but um, carry with them um, other aspects that might take away from your, your overall well-being and maybe really who you feel you are as a teacher and as an, as an individual. Right. So it suddenly becomes really hard to bloom where you're planted because you're you're kind of you find yourself kind of trapped or or kind of sequestered to this one one path again mm -hmm. all in the name of prestige or being recognized or viewed as um one of them right whereas perhaps it um going off doing your own thing um backing yourself while it's challenging might actually help you establish yourself as someone who is following what they what they following their own path doing what they want to doing what they love um, helping people in the way that they feel that they can help them the most and um, reaping the the other rewards, good co-location um, that, that mm -hmm. go along with that. Right. Um, but I agree. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to, to break off that kind of, I don't want to say predestined path, right? Because mm. it's not, we all make decisions, but, but, but sure. I, I guess what he's saying, and I agree is that most of us kind of tend to follow the flock i guess or, or the flock's yeah. expectations of he says of their greatest challenge their greatest challenge was to advance without worrying about the opinion of other people yes mm -hmm. there you go that was the biggest challenge and obviously again convenient to look back obviously these guys probably after they died did very well for themselves but they could have stayed in the in the big pond this big pond small pond analogy i think is is really apropos for, mm -hmm. for what we do and what a lot of people do. Um, they go on to say that small ponds, you know, again, that big pond, you're, you're a fish among many. Yeah. You don't stand out. This is when, you know, when, when some people say, <laughs> why do I need a niche? Well, you don't have to have one, but think about all the fish in yeah. the pond. And yes, mm -hmm. it's a metaphor, but you don't stand out, right? In small ponds, they're welcoming places for those on the inside. They have all the support that comes from community, friendship. And mm -hmm. where innovation and individuality are not 
frowned upon. Why are they not frowned upon? Because you're not breaking the mold. You're not doing what, well, we don't do that. The salon has had this forever. We This is how it works. In the small pond, we're open to change and we're open to deviations from the norm. And we all have to find our own small pond. And if you mm-hmm. can create your own small pond and invite people in, students per se, then that's the, the, the journey that you, that's where impressionism comes from, right? Mm-hmm. You know what? I, I, I can't help but think how this, it's amazing. This is, the, this is the beauty of reading a bunch of different books and kind of like seeing the connections between all of them because I'm also reading the book, Andrew. I haven't, I'm not as far as you are in the, in the book, but I'm rereading Marcus Aurelius's uh, Meditations. And there was something that he said in the book, and I'm going to badly paraphrase it here, <laughs> but very much like, um, gr- uh, like great companies, great individuals, great teachers, and in this case, these great painters, these people who are great, who are high achievers, let's put it this way, they always find a way to transform their weakness into some sort of strength which is exactly what they did there. It's, it's, if you think about it, it's, it's, a, it's a rather uh, amazing and even touching um, feat, I would say, because they took what should have held them back, the fact that you know, they might not be accepted into the salon, what in fact might be holding you back right this very second as well, and they use that to move forward. And it's this very good example of how you know, the impediment to action, this goes back to Marcus Aurelius, and Mike is going to remember this. The impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. And, and I, I can't help but think about how these impressionists mm. used the obstacle to advance um, action. Beautiful. Love that story. I mean, I can, I can think just like on a, like a real world example, like we have lots of members in our teacher accelerator program who, um, you know, mm-hmm. posting online and, and going out and prospecting clients doesn't come natural to them. But but actually, it's it's that that insecurity, that initial insecurity that actually leads to a almost a genuine sense of a pure sense of relatability, right? Because when they're out communicating with people online, or they're prospecting clients, they're not sounding like a talking head, right? That has these pre manufactured lines, they're actually connecting with people on a very human and emotional level. Um, and that's and the reason they're doing it is because they don't feel comfortable kind of producing these fancy posts and these, these um, kind of eloquent um, uh, videos and whatnot online. They have a better time just communicating with their, their audience, their niche mm-hmm. um, in a very friendly way, right? In a very kind of um, a, the same way that you would chat to someone, say, at a, at a pub or something. With the point being right. that, that, that their, their own kind of nervousness about posting online actually shows their vulnerability, which actually helps others, their audience, their niche, their target, mm-hmm. connect with them even more because they know that they're coming from yeah. a genuine place of honesty. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's that generosity, right? That generous work that we talked about earlier. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, and welcome to another interview with uh, Teacher Accelerator member and Jessica Diaz. Thanks for joining us today. And thank you for inviting me. When you have only one one-on-one lessons, one-to-one, there's a limit. 
you're going to have a limit of students. And even if you have like 20 students, that's too much. You're going to be overworked and overwhelmed. That's not something that I wanted. I'm not leaving school to be overworked with something that's going to leave me trapped again. That's, that's the thing of having your online course, because you can be at the beach selling your course. This being overworked took, took a toll on my mental health. So I was like, I want to have time to go to the gym, to spend time with my family, with my friends. And I wasn't able to do that. I wanted to help more students. And I also wanted to have more time for myself and also to develop myself as a professional because I wanted to read more. I wanted to take other courses. There's so much things uh, in the tap course. Hey, everyone. This is Andrew from Learn Your English. Thanks for listening to this episode of Teacher Talking Time. We work hard to produce a show that's theoretical, practical, and hopefully interesting. But, you know, not everything fits into a podcast format. And we've been working hard behind the scenes on something that we're excited about. And we hope you are too. And we're happy to share it with you right now. But first, let me ask you a few questions. Number one, are you a teacher with your own business? Number two, are you looking to grow that business? And number three, are you interested in doing that quickly and overcoming common pitfalls? If so, we have a new free 120-hour training that might be for you. You know, we've worked with hundreds of teachers over the years and have seen them stumble on common obstacles when it comes to business. These obstacles cause delays and stagnate growth to what would otherwise be a successful operation. And now we're happy to say that we've developed an email course to help you overcome these challenges so you can see growth in your business right away. This is a step-by-step -step email training to help you overcome the five obstacles that we've seen prevent most teachers from building their business successfully, whether you teach one-to-one -one or groups or don't have your own business yet. In this course, we look at things like business mindset, dogma ELT and materials light teaching, attracting the right kind of client, crafting your offer, and an essential business model every teacher should use. With this, we've helped hundreds of teachers to overcome these, and now you can do it as well. To begin, just head over to our website, learnyourenglish.net slash obstacles. Once enrolled, you'll get an email from us every day for five days with strategies, tasks, and actionables to use in your business immediately. Plus, at the end, there's a little treat from the three of us. So once again, head over to learnyourenglish.net slash obstacles and get started with this free 120-hour course and see growth in your business in just five days. The link to that is also in the show notes. And now, let's get back to the show. I'm Deepika, an English teacher from India, and you're listening to Teacher Talking Time the Learn Your English podcast. Perfect, perfect. Well, well, well said. I mean, the book is filled with all of these anecdotes and these stories. I'm not going to bore you with all. I, well, you have to read the book. But there's another one. I think the Impressionist one is, is quite a famous example. They're famous people. But what about like just everyday life or whatever, right? So this one I thought was very interesting, kind of along the same, the same lines. So kind of a rhetorical question for you. But if you got accepted to Harvard in the program of your choice, for the degree of your choice, would you go? I, I know the answer to that one, so I'm not going to answer probably, yet. Probably, right? Yeah. Prob it seems logical. Probably. Right? No. I mean, it seems probably. Like, it seems like if the, all the stars align and you're in the right place in your life and, like, it seems like a good choice, right? Or even add a wrinkle, a binary choice, would you 
choose Harvard or would you choose like a third or fourth tier mm. school? You got into both of them. Which one are you going to go to? I think most people would say, oh, you know, Harvard said yes to me. I'm going to say yes to Harvard, right? But Gladwell argues that actually going to Harvard is the disadvantage. So an advantage getting into Harvard, the disadvantage is actually going to Harvard. And this stat is staggering, at least to me. More than half of U.S. students who start in STEM drop out in the first or second year. Do you know why? Mm. I have a hunch, but I, I don't want to steal any thunder here. Yeah. No, go for it. I know Leo's read it. So no, no, I, I, I think um, sure. Harvard's a big school, so you're probably just a number. So if you're just That's a number, it. then That's you don't it. have the a lot of the pastoral care that one needs when you're a first-year university student. You need that network of support. You need um, triage, if you will, to kind of help you through those yeah. tough times, to kind of coach you. I needed that as a grad student. I still need that as a grad student, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yep. Bingo. I mean, that, that's that's it. So basically, when the top 1% of smart, intelligent people from across the United States arrive at Harvard, they realize that they're not in the 1% anymore, or only 1% of those are in the 1%, yeah. right? Everybody else is just yeah. somebody. So the 1% of the Harvard students obviously do very well, and they continue, and they have amazing mm -hmm. academic careers. But someone f and finishes at the bottom of a class in Harvard, 50% of people finish in the bottom 50%. Yeah. These are just mathematical true. certainties, yeah. right? So if you are a really, really smart person through your whole life, through high school, you've, you've, you're the best student in every class you've ever been in. And all of a sudden, you show up in a Harvard lecture in a physics class and everyone's understanding everything and you have no idea what's yeah. going on. How do you think you're going to feel? Yeah. You've, and then you get embarrassed. And then as you know, more than half of them in STEM drop out versus people who go to quote unquote less prestigious schools less tiered schools the graduation rate is far higher mm -hmm. and they actually have earned they earn more money in terms of when they start right. their careers as well mm. harvard you're a small fish in a big pond in the other schools you're a big fish in a community-based mm. small pond okay mm. i have a question for both of you and i, I don't know if if we're yeah. going to come up with an answer to this but i think that I'm going to start by with a statement and then I'll ask the question, but I read this okay. part of the book and I was, I actually thought about this a lot. Do you think that how you feel like your perception of, of your abilities in the context of your specific surrounding in this case, if you are at a different college or if you are at Harvard or Stanford or Yale, do you think that how you feel about your abilities in the context of your surrounding, to what extent do you think it shapes your willingness to tackle challenges and finish difficult tasks? Hmm. As, opposed to, as opposed to being in a place where everyone is, you know, in the same kind of like wavelengths, dealing with the same challenges, kind of trying to do the same thing. Both of you, I want to hear. Like, I, th I think it goes back to that, like, T.S. Eliot, right? Um, comparison is the thief of joy mm -hmm. type of mentality where, like, for me, and by what Gladwell is saying through the book, this seems to be, you know, true of the majority of just right. people around the world. If I'm in a room or I'm in a program where I feel that I'm not as good as other people, I don't feel good about myself. <laughs> yes. And then I feel like I can't go talk to the teacher because I'm embarrassed. I should, I'm in Harvard. I, I, 
1% in my province, in my high school, in my what city, right? I'm, I'm the best. And now I suck. I feel it's quite a shock, right? Um, Harvard, if you're listening, don't write us. It's, it's, it's in the book. So we didn't make this up. <laughs> um, no, I, I would not feel comfortable yeah. like asking for help because I would feel like I'm at the bottom, yeah. right? Versus, okay, everyone's struggling. We can get help together. I still probably don't feel great about myself but i can see that there's a path there because we can all work together to try and figure it out versus i'm like in the minority everyone seems to kind of have their stuff together and i'm like what's wrong with me Mm -hmm. mike yeah i don't want to get off topic and go down a whole like different um trajectory of neoliberal (laughs) education but um no i i i I, (laughs) no but i mean it's another podcast i I know what the question is asking neil but i think it's more of a it's also a it's a life experience question though, isn't it mm. as well? Right. Mm-hmm. Because the person from Harvard might not have had to deal with situations in which they had to draw on their own resilience. Whereas exactly. people who um, might've chosen say a tier two, tier three school, they're, they're aware of perhaps um, some of their limits or they've been humbled or have felt yeah. humbled in the past and have experienced reaching out and getting and, and, and asking for help. Um, they have experience showing vulnerability, realizing that they have their limits and that they actually need some support to get them through that next stage. And it's okay. It's okay to, to do that. Um, and I think perhaps the Harvard student or the, the Ivy League student who was in the top 1%, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, Andrew, um, is finally realizing that they, they need help, um, might not know how to deal with that, that situation and might yeah. really struggle with this idea of admitting one's own limits um, realize that they need to um, show some, express some sort of humbleness and yeah. uh, or humility, I should say, and and ask for help. And I think um, the life experiences of of either one of those students is going to really determine the trajectory of of where they go. But I, I know what you're, I know what you're saying, and I think I think mm-hmm. really it's 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 because those students in those two tier two schools are around um, other students who have gone through those life experiences that they are successful. And it's because those 1% at Harvard are not around um, other students who have built resilience that they are unable to kind of get that support perhaps. Right. Um, I think, I think that's it. So I think it is very much determined by the the culture of of the system itself. um, And of course their, their life experiences within that mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's not i don't think i'm convinced from the, it's not a coincidence mm. like i think we can extrapolate this out and i think that's a university he gives an example other examples about phd students from top tier schools who publish less frequently than other schools and it's it's about being surrounded by other mm-hmm. small fish like yourself i think that's not a coincidence i think that's that there's clear evidence that that, that matters so how do we then surround ourselves with with these things, with these other people in our small pond? How do we craft or mm-hmm. curate a small pond for us? And before we get into my next story, um, mindset, Leo, you talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Mindset is is probably the, I said delayed gratification, so let's move that down the list a little bit. Mindset is, I think, the most important factor yeah. in crafting your own pond, accepting the small pond or the, the big fish small pond mm-hmm. kind of mentality. Psychologists measure personality through, I learned this in the book too, a five-factor 
model. Okay. And they say, or Gladwell cites actually Jordan Peterson on this and says that innovators and revolutionaries tend to have a particular mix yes. of these five factors. Mm. And these five factors are neuroticism, extroversion, openness, conscientiousness, and agreeableness. And each one has uh, a scale. So on agreeableness, for example, you're either you know, on the left side, you're cooperative and empathetic versus you are self-interested and antagonistic. Uh, which one of those, which side of that? So on the cooperative side or on the antagonistic side, do you think the most successful innovators and revolutionaries have been? Hmm. Mm. I haven't gotten to that part. Yeah. yeah. No, antagonistic. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say the opposite. Antagonistic. The most successful people have been antagonistic. They're also dyslexic, eh? <laughs> yes. So here's a chapter on dyslexia and how... Having dyslexia seems like a disadvantage, and clearly it is. Uh, and he does have a caveat that says, mm -hmm. I'm not saying this is a good thing. However, if you're in a situation that you're out of your control, and this is what it is, yeah. there are advantages that can mm. come with that. But the last the last three on, on the scale, openness, conscientiousness, and agreeableness, he says that there are patterns in some of the most successful people within that. So within openness, those people are able to imagine things others can't. And more importantly, be able to challenge their own preconceptions. So they're open to challenging their own preconceptions. In terms of conscientiousness, anyone who has brilliant ideas but lacks the discipline to carry them out is simply a dream. Well, that's the shipping, mm -hmm. right? That's what Leo was talking about earlier. That's the shipping, yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Good point. We dream while we sleep, we achieve goals while we're awake, right? <laughs> yeah. like kind of, it's yeah, kind of yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. And then disagreeableness. So they take social risks like the French painters. They knew people weren't going to like it. Mm -hmm. They did it anyway. And they do things that other people might might disapprove of. And yeah. they quote playwright George Bernard, which I think is interesting, when he says, quote, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. Yeah. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore... All progress depends on the unreasonable man. I get it now. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking it was like antagonistic as in like uh, um, just not caring for individuals. But it's not that, right? It's challenging no, conventions. No. It's, yes. it's thinking outside of the box. It's putting forward new ideas, innovative ideas that, um, that match your vision, right? Like yeah. This is where yeah. I see the world going. This, therefore, we can't give up on this. We have to follow this, this yeah. path, right? Yeah. I, I think because we, uh, to a certain extent, and I'm reading a book called Dopamine Nation, by the way, which is fantastic. Highly recommend that book. And it's, I mean, there's something there, Andrew, um, on, you know, delaying gratification and how that is actually an important thing for someone who wants to, um, you know, build a career in business or in, uh, in entrepreneurship. And you talk about uh, Rockefeller, who actually had the strength to resist temptation or excitement, no matter how seductive, no matter the situation, right? So he would never give in to those feelings. But what I wanted to say on that, just to add to what Mike said, I think it's really hard for, for a lot of teachers to want to pursue this, this other side, this path, because again, it requires, you know, changing your mindset. Because again, to go back to the dopamine nation, we are all hardwired to seek the approval of people around us, right? But if you really want to do something different, you need a radical, a transformative thought 
that is basically going to challenge the status quo. And we know this. We know from our own experience mm-hmm. that, ch- that challenging the status quo is really hard. It's really scary. And remember this. I don't know if you guys remember this, but I remember when we talked to some, some teachers about our venture, a lot of them um, treated me with a little bit of disdain. You know, there was uh, an immense mm-hmm. rejection at first. And I said, hey, I actually like that. You know, uh, I've dealt with, I think I've developed a, a very good ability to deal with failure. And I think we have all throughout the last couple of years in this business. So when we look at most situations, we are able to see much more of the upside than the downside, right? And that's yeah. the antagonistic, disagreeable part. It's just, it's not... Well, Mike said it's not attacking other people. It's just I know what you're going to think, and I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is how, what I this is what I want. This is my vision for this, and and this is this is what we're going to do. Um, there's lots of examples of it not working out, but for us, yeah, we've experienced that. We continue to experience that now. We get comments like that all the time. This is not the way to do it. This is this. This is that. But I think for us, we're on the opposite side of it now. We have enough people that you know, engage with our content, that engage in conversation, that talk about these issues, that we know that there's a, a need for it. We have our, our small pond, right? Right. And we're not saying that this is the way that it should be done. This is a way it can be done. This is the way we like to do things. If you like that, jump on the train. Let's go for a ride. If you don't, that's okay, too. <laughs> like, that's that's perfectly fine. And and, yes. and really, Leo, just to add to what you said, I think the, the dopamine for a lot of teachers is that one for one, right? It's that, that it, I'm going to yes. get my $50, right? And yes, biggest, because I was making 20, right? I want to make 50 now. I'm still doing the same. I'm still spending six hours a day teaching, not really doing what I really want to do, which is have more time for myself, have more passive income. I'm, I'm still basically doing the one for one. Um, but but correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't want to speak for, for either mm. one of you, but the most empowering experience of, of my life was when I realized I had the ability to say no. And that was putting mm. off that initial reward to actually work on something and build something that I felt I could actually benefit from long-term, both financially yes. and personally, yes. right? So it was really great to just get that call. Hey, Mike, can you come in? Now we're desperate for a teacher. Uh, we didn't need you two <laughs> weeks ago, but now we need you. Can you come in and help? And being able to say no, knowing that I'm backing myself, I'm building something, a program, and that program is going to help other teachers and has helped other teachers. And, and now that financial success is coming through. And, and yes. I know that this is the type of advice that we pass on to our members. And we've heard this in our own strategy sessions with many of our members. The, the first yes. thing was the confidence. It was like, I really mm. want to do it, but I've, and I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to have my own teaching business, a nice hybrid model, but I, I, I didn't know how. So I never, I never said yes. And I just kept saying yes to teaching hours. And I never had a chance to actually take time off yeah. because I always said yes to teaching hours. To actually do something I really wanted to do. And I think for a lot of people, um, it's a mindset, it's confidence. Yeah. But but just the first time you say no and you actually back yourself, it's really empowering. And and again, you're putting off that kind of immediate reward, that immediate dopamine effect for that longer, greater yes. reward of more time for yourself, more time doing what you love, and again, helping people that you're generally genuinely interested in helping. Yeah. You guys, you guys shop at Ikea? Oh, yeah. I love Ikea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine told me the greatest, there are two, 
talking about being off topic. There are two litmus tests for a relationship. So if you're in a relationship with somebody and you want to give it a test, there are two things that you can do with that person. The first one is go to a concert together. Actually, there are three. The second one is take a trip together. Yes. <laughs> That's a good one. And a the third trip. one is a long trip. Together. A, a long trip. Yeah. Yeah. And the third one is assemble IKEA furniture together. Or adopt a pet together. <laughs> That's yeah. Oh gosh, IKEA. <laughs> so again, looking back, IKEA is you know, I think becoming the person that you we talk about this a lot, becoming the person that you want to be requires you to challenge the person that you currently are. Right? To be open to mm. say, yeah, yes. what part of myself right now do I want to take with me? What parts do I not want to take with me? Oh, I like and that. And this never, this never changes, right? And and even when you get an established business, you're always going to be tweaking. You're always going to be changing things. IKEA, again butchering the pronunciation, but was founded by Ingvar Kamprad or Kamprad. Good job. Depending on how you pronounce it, obviously Swedish, right? And his challenge to himself was. He found assembling furniture too expensive, both to do that and to ship it. They'll go back to your shipping analogy, right? Shipping <laughs> mm-hmm. furniture all over Sweden, oh, yeah. I imagine, yeah, in, yeah. in the 1950s. <laughs> and he's like, this is way too expensive. Shipping fully built furniture. My profit margin is getting destroyed. So I mean, there's no spoilers here. We all know what IKEA does now. But he, he started selling unassembled furniture in flat boxes for cheap and undersold all of his competition. Smart, right? Yeah. But what happened? In the, 19, in the mid-50s, he ran into trouble. All the other Swedish manufacturers were like, what are you doing? They launched a boycott because they were angry. And then right. he had a problem because he couldn't get any wood for his furniture, so he couldn't actually mm-hmm. produce anything. So what did he do? He could have. He had two options. He could have said, okay, well, that's over. I'm just going to go yes. back to what I was doing, produce the Building furniture, build them, yeah. ship them, and my business will never be successful, but people will be happy. Yeah. But he didn't do obviously he didn't do that. What did he do? He looked south and he went to Poland, where mm. there was cheaper labor, there was cheaper wood, and he outsourced everything to Poland and he continued his business as usual. They didn't have all, you know, the infrastructure, legal protections of a Western country, so there were some things there, but he just said, I'm not listening to you. I'm going to Poland and I'm doing this. But the kicker Again, Gladwell outlines this, like going to Poland in 1961 at the height of the Cold War with everything that was happening there. It's basically like Walmart now going to North Korea. Mm-hmm. So does not care what people think. Yes. I'm doing this. And obviously IKEA today is, who knows? I mean, maybe it wouldn't have happened, but obviously very successful. Now, so the question for everyone listening and back to teachers is basically, this is the question that I came up with. Is do you have those two traits that are required? So the first one is creativity. Mm. So I'm going to start shipping furniture, not assembled. And do you have the discipline going to Poland to actually see it through? And that is oh. what we call the idea muscle, right? And it needs to yes. be exercised. And it needs to be worked. And you're not going to come up with it by just thinking about it. So... How do you guys come up with ideas? Good question. Um, <clears throat> for me, good questions come primarily from, you know, getting, 
I don't remember who said this, Andrew, Mike, um, but I like the idea of shipping. Like I like the idea of producing content every day, but I'm trying to remember where I saw this, but it was this guy saying that basically your brain is like, it's like a pipe, but it only has one you faucet. That somewhere. I know that other kind of things you mean. Yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. basically saying that there is no shortcut pipe, pipe. to, okay. yeah, yeah, not that pipe. No, he's no, basically no, no, saying okay. that there is no shortcut to achieving clarity other than first emptying the wastewater. So he applies that to creativity, right? At the beginning of any sort of idea session, writing session, you must write out every bad idea that just reflexively and reactively comes out of your mind. And Mike goes back to how when we were writing our papers in the past, yeah. we would just be like, let's just write. That's just right yeah. out of those, you know, if you write, you know, 500 words a day, you have what, how many in a week, uh, 3,500 yeah. out of those 3,500, how many of those are going to be good? So anyway, you must write out every bad idea that reflexively and reactively comes to mind. Instead of being self-critical and resisting these bad ideas, you just openly accept them, you know, and once the bad ideas are emptied, uh, they're emptied then I think you start having better, stronger ideas because they start to arrive. And, and I think this is why, because once you've generated enough bad output, your brain kind of calibrates itself, <laughs> you know, to, to, to the underlying elements that are producing all of these bad, all this badness. I don't know if this makes any sense, but then it intuitively avoids those elements. So you're like, okay, this is bad. I'm not going to, write about this i kind of know what i want so it starts to kind of like pattern match novel ideas um going forward so i think most creators most teachers who are thinking about building their business they never get past their wastewater because they're always resisting their bad ideas if you've ever opened a blank document scribbled a few thoughts down then you walked away because you weren't struck with good ideas gold ideas mm -hmm. then you didn't get past it you know, that's it. Uh, I think you start with bad ideas, you identify what makes those ideas bad, and then you iterate this process until it gets better, until it becomes um, more, um, I think the word is original. So I think, Andrew, just to before I, I pass... I passed the baton to Mike because I know he wants to say something no, about this. No, no, no. You're saying a lot of what it's, I want to say, yeah. yeah. It's all about, I don't think about creative. Well, you said two things, creativity and what was the other one? Discipline. Discipline. I would like to call them defiance right. like and it. acceptance. Ooh. You know, um, because there's always a counter move to anything. There's always escape, an escape. There's always a way through. So there's no reason to get worked up. You know, again, when you have to write an essay, it's you, you, wh why do we get all worked up? Because we think about the end results. We think about writing 10,000 words. We don't think about writing my first 100 words. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. That's it. My first my first 300 bad words. Yes. So nobody said it would be easy. And of course, the stakes are high, but the path is there for those people who are ready to take it. Right, Mike? No, I, I would. Yeah. And I. I don't want to add another acronym, so I won't, but I, I think it's iterations really key, right? So you can't yes. let perfection be the enemy of progress, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you have to actually get out, like Leo said, write down your ideas, put them out there, even if they are bad, 
and, and, and force yourself to, to say, stay there until you have X number of ideas. And then you can return to them the next day and then start to refine them and, and, and build them in the direction that you, that kind of match your business vision. Um, mm -hmm. So, so, but also I think I, what I really agree with Leo is this idea of persistence, right? Like yes. you can't back down. Like you said, you have to actually, it's like when you're exercising, if I do 25 sit-ups and I don't feel the burn, have I really actually exercised, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's the same thing. You want to kind of exercise to the point where you, you feel tired, where your muscles feel mm -hmm. like they're worked. And in order yeah. to kind of get to that ability to, as you said, Andrew, to build that muscle, you need to kind of present yourself with a set target of tasks. Now, it doesn't need to be that 10,000 word paper. That's the product. Um, yeah. You've got to think, okay, what's step, what's step one of that process? And yes. that might be writing 100 words, 500 words. Yeah. So if you're thinking of your business, yes, your, your product promoting your business might be posting every day. Um, but, but, you know, you need to develop the process for doing that, right? What are the systems that you're going to put in place so that you have the ability to post something daily? Um, yeah. What are those systems you're going to put in place yes. so that you uh, have teaching time with your students, but also you factored in some asynchronous work for them that also still leave them with the same sense of value? Um, unless you build those systems, then you'll never build that muscle and then your, your business will never really grow. For most people, the, yeah. the magic number is 10, right? Write down 10 yeah. ideas okay. every day and eight or nine of them will be bad, right? But after every day, you have one good idea. Mm -hmm. If you do that for 10 days in a row, you have 10 really good ideas and then you can pick one. So like an example would be like, okay, so today I'm going to think of 10 <laughs> topics that my niche would be interested in reading about. Yeah. But you have to write all 10 because to write three or four is yeah. easy. To write five to seven is a little bit harder. To get past seven is really hard, but you cannot yeah. leave until yeah. you have 10. Yeah. I think all the, I think nearly almost all, like nearly everything that is awesome, that is great, takes a lot longer than you think. <laughs> You know, you just have to get started, you know, don't worry about the clock. Don't worry about the results. I know it's hard to, to, uh, you know, adopt this mindset, but it's what you said. What is, I was reading a book on mental toughness. People, people portray mental toughness as, as determination and persistence. But I think it is also what Mike said. It's a little bit of flexibility, adaptability. You know, I can be happy anywhere. I can work with what I have. I can have a good day with anyone, you know? Who's the person that I want to be? You, you are. And what decisions? Exactly. That can be 10. Like, like, write 10 things down, right? Who Things that I yeah, want to be yeah. the future version of myself. And then all the, this informs the mm. decisions that, that we make now, right? So, like, we're in yeah. Canada. We're a hockey country. And there's a famous phrase here that, you know, you don't skate to where the puck is right now. You skate to where the puck is going. Right. So mm -hmm. when you're and you know, we started the show you know, before we wrap up here, we started the show with what your most people do an obvious solution to an obvious problem. So keep keep the obvious problem. Right. Because that's what people are find that they need help with. But what's your non obvious solution And the future for me of online learning is a combination of everything that's been until up till now isolated. So it's a combination of community and a specific need and online learning 
and some live lessons or some coaching or some teaching. These traditionally have been separate things. You find a Reddit community, you find a Facebook group, and then you have a teacher. Wow. And then you have yeah. some YouTube videos. That, the future of online learning, that's where the puck is going. And in some cases, it's already there. Yeah. Your program needs to have all of those things. And that's where the puck is going. And then your 10 ideas a day to, for 10 days, do it about your niche. Do it about the problem that you solve. Then do it about the person you want to be. Then do it about the community that you would want to be a part of. Then do it about the small pond. And after 30 days and 60 days, you have all of this information. And that's your differentiator, right? You think about where the, the puck is going. You Not just with you know, what you want for yourself, but where the industry is going. And that is where the industry is going. The salon is brick and mortar, face-to-face -face learning, right? Impressionism is yes. online communities that have intense, crazy value with live sessions. And that's challenging to a lot of people. But we need to challenge yeah. our current self in order to become that future self that we want to be. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Can I, can I share a quote with you guys? Because I was reading a book and I just found the quote here and it's, cool. it's, it's a very interesting quote because I think it, it really resonates with, it resonated with me first of all. And I think it will resonate with a lot of teachers who are thinking about, you know, um, making this transition from, you know, working for someone to working for themselves is from a painter. I don't think she is French, Andrew, but Mariam Paré. And uh, she specializes, here's an interesting thing, folks. She specializes in, in making paintings by mouth. She uses her mouth to paint. Why? Because she suffered um, spinal cord injury. So she can't use her. See. Most of her limbs, basically. Advantage or disadvantage. So she basically, exactly, exactly. So she offers some advice to her young self in this book. And she basically said, and I quote, if I could talk to myself 20 years ago, I would tell myself to focus on my strengths and not on my weaknesses, on the things I could do and not the things I couldn't do, to strive to excel and hone those skills to the point of excellence. That is this was the best strategy to secure my future. I would say to myself that the only real obstacles you have are those you create for yourself. I like that. I like it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So I think the question, the question for all of our listeners out there, sometimes, as Mike said, and you said too, Andrew, we're very hard on ourselves. We criticize our mistakes. I would say sometimes to an unhelpful degree. And sometimes we're just too nice too easy on ourselves and let excuses run our lives. We know that very well. So the question for all of us today is which way are you leaning right mm. now? I like that. The mountain metaphor, climbing a mountain, right? Like the 5,000 or the 50,000 word essay or whatever. You stand at the bottom of the mountain, you look at the top, it's daunting, right? But if you start climbing 100 meters at a time, but... At the same time, you need to pause every now and then, turn around and look at the view and see how far you've come at the same time. And then don't yeah. look too long, you know, take a picture and then turn around, keep walking. Yeah. Yeah. It's a journey. Yeah. It really is. Folks, this was fun. I really enjoyed this reunion nice once again together. in the podcast. Thanks, guys. Yeah. 
See, yeah, see we should do the. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we no, should it's do nice this. Uh, back on the podcast together. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We should we should create like a teacher entrepreneur series, and I think we should have this. Well, we actually talk about our experience. Maybe maybe every other month we could do this. We can continue with the interviews, providing value. You know, gener- You know, as what we we like to do. We like to to give back. We like to be generous, right, Mike? With with what we learn, do, do generous work, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, thanks everyone. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.